Revolting is produced by The Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at The Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 96. It puts the lotion in the basket. Content warning. Things sometimes get spicy. (laughs) (laughs) The Revolting Podcast, if you don't have the stomach for our verbal chili dogs or loaded nachos, maybe find uh, more chicken fingers and fried fries podcast. Hmm? What do you think? You like apples? What about Ow. them apples, fuckers? How about them apples? <laughs> Beat it. Um, nobody's nobody's complained in months. So maybe, I guess the content warning is working. It, it's working. It's pr- it must be working. Or, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy the complaints, so maybe the thing to do is to drop the content warning, and then we'll get some people being like... I didn't realize you guys were going to talk about squirrel testicles for 45 minutes. Squirrel, squirrel testicles. I got a story, uh, not about squirrel testicles, about kitten tes- testicles. Kitten testicles? When I was in college, I dated a girl who worked at the SBCA in San Francisco. And um, she said they, they would just like fix babies all day long. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like Tuesdays were neutering days or, you know. And she said that the nuts all just went in a sink. And she what? said they looked like capers. No. Yeah. yeah, little baby cat nuts. So cute. So, first of all, I love that I just made an offhand comment and then you told a story immediately <laughs> about kitten testicles. About little, a little balls. <laughs> but I also hate that the sink is full of little kitten nut caper yeah. nuts. Think about how many unwanted kittens that they were preventing. So many. Think of, all of think them. about how many capers you've prevented me from eating in the rest how of my lifetime. Ca- <laughs> you're never gonna. Th- you're never gonna look at raisins or what are the tiny raisins? Uh, currants. You're never gonna look what? at currants. Oh, currants. Cur- currants, raisins, or capers the same again. Nor will oh. anyone who maybe heard that story. Gosh. Well, well I guess we're doing what we do already. Well, baby kitten nuts. Uh, before we go too far, I want to shout out the Scorps, Mr. Chris McNally. What the uh, fuck did that? What, why? What the fuck are we mentioning that clown for? Well, uh, he did two things for me. I met him at Maid for the first time ever. And I said, oh, hey, I'm Robot. And he was like, oh, hey. And then he, he said, hey, do you want these prints? And he pulled out a pair of nice little prints that he had made and gave me gave me them oh man and then i said let's uh do a middle finger selfie and send it to steve and he was like hell yes <laughs> so i pre- i just wanted to appreciate him a little bit yeah he's good he's uh, i don't really think he's a clown he's uh he has a perfect hairline 
he has uh he's an amazing bike rider that's very what i've heard he's very handsome uh wildly talented um i hate him i hate him he yeah. can draw so he can draw so good <laughs> fuck leave some for the rest of us you know yeah um but that's well, just said, that's just jealousy and that'll get you nowhere. I sent you a photo this morning of uh, a, a Stevel Knievel postcard which I framed. Oh yeah, I just I just saw I just saw that. Um Yeah. Well, what's the quote and who is the person who said it? Oh god, it's Jose Luis Rivero and he said Are you just remembering that like just I am. Willy-nilly? Yeah. Nice. How come you're not remembering it? You wrote it. Because I don't remember. <laughs> Julio Ramon uh, Ribeiro. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where I found this quote, but I love it. Um, we find we find only one tool, neither created nor invented, but perfect. The hand of man. Uh, you know, human. The hand of human. Actually, the hand of anybody with an opposable thumb, I guess. Raccoons? Yep. The hand of raccoons. The hand of raccoons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, can they pick up some garbage? It sure can. Um, um, oh. Well, here we are, 96. Yeah. So I had, framed, I had framed the uh, the drawing and quote that you sent me, and I also framed one of the prints that um, Chris gave me. So That's great. Art day at uh, my house. I got a couple of his drawings. Like random, just sort of sketchbook things. Like those are my favorite. I love a. Uh, I like process. I like process. I like going into people's studios. I like seeing people's workspaces. And I like imperfect artwork. And I have a piece that he tore out of a sketchbook, so it's all tattered on one side because he draws in spiral books. And it's, I don't know, it's just like a guy in a hat. And I don't know exactly, exactly sure what, what it was, if it was observation or out of his head or whatever. And it's just, it's just a brilliant little piece, just kind of throwaway piece as far as he's concerned. I'm sure he wouldn't even remember having done it. Um, and then I've got a, another piece of his from a show, maybe two pieces of his from a show that we had together. Uh, yeah, he's going to be... Oh, he's, he's, he's great. Sucks. Yeah. I hate him. I, I really like, um, like you sent me that postcard, which was just a sketch that I assume you did while sitting next to a beer and possibly also a whiskey at a bar. That's my guess for when that was created. I did them. I do them at work. Like I just do them while I'm, I'm working at the bar. I'm, I don't drink at the bar when I'm. Oh working but i was next to someone's whiskey and someone's beer just not my own well anyway <clears throat> so you did this thing which is just a thing that you do and i love that kind of like uh you know it's just a nice little thing that you put in the mail um my fr i have another uh piece framed that was just a doodle my friend skunk did it's like this little robot and he's he's there's a uh talk a speech bubble over his head but it's all ones and zeros um mm. <laughs> I like that. And I, I love it. And it's tiny. It's probably two inches by three inches, if that big. But then I got like a big frame and map for it. So it just mm -hmm. sits in the middle like that. Perfect. 
But for him, it's a, like a nothing. He was like, I was like, hey, can I have that? In fact, can I can I like get that? Can I pay you for that? And he was like, what? What? Yeah. There. So this is I, I, I don't remember what if we've talked about this before. Um, I started like I love postcards, right? I've always loved mail. I've loved physical yep. mail forever. I would always used to run home to the mailbox when I would walk home from the bus stop and hope you know, like there's a magazine for me or there's a letter or a card or something. Um, and then when I got older uh, and I was in college, a partner, this guy that I did this magazine and put these records out with, like we really got into mail and corresponding with other people and people would send us records and we'd send them records. And of course, like in the back of Flipside magazine or Maximum Rock and Roll, there was the classifieds. I think specifically in Flipside where you could send people tapes and they'd send you tapes or flyers or whatever. Like I love that shit. And, um, uh, at some point I made a issue of a fanzine and I'm, and I got postcards made and I stamped the postcards and I was like, here, here's your opportunity to get your own thing going, you know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, but when I, but so I didn't, I didn't want to get, I never wanted to get email cause I thought that it would, like it's too easy, right? Like I mm-hmm. want it's going to de- distract me from making physical mail, which I guess in a way it has, but I don't know, it's just another way of um it's another way to communicate. Uh but I still have like recently I've made a big push and I I cut up Bristol uh, out of these drawing pads that I have and I buy stamps. And I stamp them and I carry them in a little tattered manila envelope and I bring them to the bar where I work and I sit and I draw and I check IDs and occasionally throw people out. But in the interim, I draw and people, um, it's been a really interesting sort of social experiment. Like people ask me about them, like, what are you doing? What is this? And I explain to them what I'm doing and I ask them if they would like one. And if they would like one, they can just address it to themselves and I will drop it off in the mailbox at, you know, three o'clock in the morning. And it spins people out so curiously. Um, A lot of people don't know their own addresses. So that's (laughs) been a thing that's tripped me out. Uh, They don't know how to address a postcard. Like. They go, where do I put it? And I'm like, in the middle, under the stamp. And they'll like write it super <laughs> tiny in the corner. One woman was like, yeah, send me that. And she just wrote her phone number on it and bailed. And I had to, I texted her and I was like, yo, you're somewhere in the bar still. It's the door guy. I need a physical address to send this to. I can't send it to your phone number. And she's like, oh, oh okay. So she came back and changed it. Um, one young woman, this was really cute. She was, uh, I, she's probably 21 or 22. And, and she was asking me about the postcards and drawings. And she was telling me about kind of like what her trip is. And she's like renovating this house or something. And then I pulled out a stack of postage stamps. And she goes, oh, stickers. And I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> um, so so I uh, let's see uh, what other interesting uh, somebody from San Francisco recently reached out to me and said that I'd sent her friend a postcard and he'd sent her a picture of it. And so she contacted me to ask if I could send her one mm-hmm. like. Another woman said that she wants to do a commit, like to visit, do a studio visit, and she wants me to do a commission. Um, 
it's wild, oh. you know? And some people are like, well, what do you want for it? And I'm like, I don't want anything for it. Like, just right. keep the fucking momentum, you know? Write somebody else, make something else, draw something for somebody. Like, right. don't let this be the dead end. Make the world just infinitesimally better. That's all. Just, just pay me back with just, yeah. One guy came in and he said, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this bar came to be known as the place where you go get like postcard, like free drawings. <laughs> I'm like, that'd be great. You know, like if this is, and I think it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit, uh, disarming for people. Yeah. Like I, I make eye contact with everyone. I thank yeah. them for letting me see their ID. I say hello to each person that comes through. And then when I'm drawing there, it's kind of like a lot of people, I think a lot of people show up to bars and they're already a little keyed up. They may be excited. They're going to get a little inebriated. Their inhibitions are going to get lowered. And sometimes that can lead to conflict. Um, sometimes that can lead to um, some sort of uh, e emotional exchange. Let's say uh, bad decisions, certainly. Sure, sure. And 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 I, a coworker of mine, he's a bartender. He said basically, it's like we're having a party. We're having a party in our space, and we want everybody to be safe, and we want everyone to have a good time. But we also want people to respect the fact that, like, this is our home. You wouldn't go to a party in my home and piss in my backyard. Well, you probably would. But that's not a fair analogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> You we wouldn't let you. But you would turn your back to do it respectfully, you know. Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't hurt anybody. You wouldn't yeah. challenge anybody. You're just here to have fun and listen to music and chat with your friends, you know. Um, and so I think, as a sort of a side effect of like the first thing that you see is somebody drawing, doing these little goofy drawings, is you're like, huh? They're like people who work here, you know, like right personalities, like actual human beings with feelings and thoughts and. I don't know. It's just been, it's been a fun project. So what you just, oh, this whole thing, I have four, you made me think of four things. All right. Uh, the first one is my friend, Mike, uh, has really strong postcard game. Like I got a postcard from him the other day and the front, the picture is from the mine mining sciences museum. Col and in Colorado? No, that's School of Mines. Where's Mining Science Museum? I don't know. Maybe it's School of Mines Museum. I, I don't know. It would. It's a mine museum. Okay. And you flip it over, and, and Mike has written, I didn't find any exhibitions about miming here. <laughs> <laughs> Not a I single would... <laughs> tribute to, quote, the silent art. <laughs> I was hoping that there was some going to be some wordplay related yeah. to that. That's brilliant. It's, it's all about miming. He sent me another one, which is an <laughs> illustration of all of these whales that have beached themselves somewhere in New England. And on the back, he wrote, saw this and thought of you. Hopefully you can add it to your um, whale beaching ephemera collection. <laughs> <laughs> So every few months I get I get a sparkler from Mike. So good. So good. I love that. So that's one. Mike sends good postcards. Two, the uh, the thing that I I uh, the postcard you sent me that I just framed uh, was ne on the refrigerator next to one you sent me of Django smelling bad. 
that came previously. I don't remember that. My son, Ian, was standing in front of them one day, and he looked at me, he said, can you tell Steve just to send us something nice for a change? (laughs) (laughs) So that's two. Uh, Three is also Ian-related, where you're talking about, like, the woman who was like, oh, stickers. Uh It's the same as if you ask one of my kids to put their signature on something. They don't have a signature. Ian is Ian is like 16. His signature is basically a picture of two seagulls. <laughs> He's like, I don't I don't I don't know. I just do these birds twice. These birds every time I have to. So that's three. Ah, shit. What's the fourth one? God, there was a good fourth one. I don't know. Those were str- those were those were real good threes. Yeah. That was a good three. I yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, Mike, man, I tell, give Mike my address and have him send me a postcard. I, the Eric Richter, uh, Black Sox, he, he's like, uh, he, everybody, I mean, if you, in the bike industry, he's a dude that's been, he's like the Oz, you know, he's just the guy <laughs> behind the curtain. He's been yep. everywhere. He's kind of omnipotent, sees everything, knows everything. Just an absolute stellar human being. I heard before I was really even friends with them that like he's he's the postcard guy and oh. people had collections people had like postcard racks like in those stores where you have and they were like filled with postcards from Richter um so I started writing him and he started writing me and Hurl Everstone from Cars or Coffins like that's how we became friends is just started we were like pen pals yeah for, I don't know couple three years or something before we ever met physically it's the best i just I think love, it's i think it's so cool i love postcards too what i used to do is i would send people short stories on postcards but what i would do is i would send them like the post the story would be like 12 to 15 little nuggets and i would write it all out and then i would post the postcards in order i would number them and you'd get one every like two or three days. Uh, mm, that's a cool idea. It was good. I was enjoying doing it. And the trick of it was that I wouldn't, uh, sometimes I would do them, I would write the first part and then I would not know what the rest of the story was. So then I would have like two days to come up with, with what the next action or dialogue was. It was it's, fun. It's like your own exquisite corpse drawing, but it's in prose. Yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah. I just sent Christina, our friend Christina Sinkovic, who I think we probably, she's going to change her name legally to our friend Christina Sinkovic. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, uh, she just sent me a, a picture of a postcard I sent her, or she quoted something that I wrote on a postcard that I sent her, and it was fucking amazing. I was like, where did that come from? And she goes, you wrote it. And I'm like, I don't, (laughs) I don't remember that at all. And it was like, it's probably the best thing I've ever written. So I have to have stolen it from somewhere. Mm. And it was just like one sentence or like a couple of sentences. And I'm like, man, that is fucking money. (laughs) But, but I don't remember doing it. And I, I like blacked out and wrote the best thing I've ever written and then sent it. That's like that Philip it. K. Dick novel, A Scanner Darkly, where the main character is a, a, a like a drug enforcement detective who's um, trying to uh, uncover this um, drug dealer. 
and he is also the drug dealer. <laughs> uh, Wild at Heart, where oh, have yeah. you seen Wild at Heart? The detective, spoiler alert, the detective yep. becomes the person he's hunting. Yes. Oh, the oh, fourth thing that I was going to say... Oh, shit, I just lost it again. Oh, no, the fourth thing I was going to say was I, I like the idea... Well, first of all, you could make extra money at the bar by just doing caricatures. Like, you, you could dr- do quick drawings of hipsters, like holding baseball bats, or like with a little pinwheel and a cowboy hat on. But I love the idea that everyone who's um, who's been thrown out of your bar has to basically say when people are like, what happened last night? He goes, Oh, the cartoonist at the front door threw me out. <laughs> yeah. I do kind of bristle when people say like, Oh, I like your doodles. I'm like, Ooh, well, Ooh. Mm, it's not a doodle fucker. <laughs> uh, I love your doodles. <laughs> shut up. It's not a doodle. It's a fucking drawing. A doodle is like you're a, a spiral on a p- stack of post-it notes while you're mindlessly like on hold. Right. That's a doodle. This is a drawing. There's a t- intention. Like- That's the difference. I think a doodle is sort of stream of consciousness or mindless, and a drawing is intentional. I like it. Get the fuck out. But of it here. does remind me of every time I've ever said to Ian. Oh, you, you're just going to watch cartoons? It's not cartoons, it's anime, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anime, you masturbate to. Cartoons, you do not. If you except, say so. <laughs> except for the old Heathcliff. His girlfriend was a smoke show. Hey. <laughs> um, wait a second. Oh, I, I got to mention, my phone is in here with me right now. Um, because I have to like refer to it, uh, uh, because I can not remember anything, but today is my birthday and I'm, it's, it's been blowing what? up since like seven thirty. So if there's like a bunch of vibrating and bullshit in the background, that's, that's me. And I apologize. It's your birthday. What a terrible friend I am. I know none of my friends' birthdays. They all get annoyed at me. I don't either. I know my dad's birthday, my mom's birthday, my sister's birthday. And that, oh, and my friend my friend Gabe I remember his birthday because it is also today but oh. I, for, I forgot Gabe's birthday until he texted me wishing me happy birthday this morning <laughs> so <clears throat> well I have this problem that my birthday is New Year's Eve so everyone remembers it oh, oh. oh well we were there on your birthday we always get together on your birthday because yeah. it's New Year's Eve and then I don't remember anyone else's which <laughs> makes me an asshole <laughs> Uh, when I was little, I remember having a conversation with my sister. I was like, man, it'd be so cool if your birthday was on Christmas because you get double presents. She's like, no, you wouldn't, dummy. you just get one present. It's like, really? Fuck. <laughs> that sucks. And now I realize, like, having a birthday anywhere near Christmas would be a total bummer. It was a total bummer. And then later on, um, later on, like, after presents are even a thing, it's like, there's always a party, but it's never for you. <laughs> <laughs> Although, although I will say my wife has thrown some surprise parties for me because she's mint. Is it was it a surprise? Yes. Every time because I'm fucking clueless. Nobody's ever been able to surprise me. I want a surprise party so bad. And my ex was terrible at surprises. She's just not good. I'm I'm ace. I can do I can surprise people all over the fucking place. Um, The only way that you could do a surprise party for me would be like 
probably a week ahead of time. Cause now like forever, because I love them so much and I want one so bad. I walk around the corner. I'm like, Hey, surpri- Oh, nobody's here. <laughs> oh, Hey, surprise. No, nobody's here. And it oh, just, man. it's like, that's all I do. All my birthday is I'm waiting for people to like come jump out of a cake or something. And it never happens, but you could curveball me and have it like on a different day. Yeah. But yeah, Brittany be. did that to me one time. She had my 50th birthday. I had COVID for my 50th birthday, so she threw a party for me in the summer that was a surprise party. Fun. Um, but I'm, I'm fucking clueless. Like, I could see my friends, like, hiding behind the bushes in front of my house, and I'd walk <laughs> in and be like, hey, do you know why those guys are in the bushes out front? <laughs> yeah, that's the difference between us is you, you uh, uh, take being appreciated for granted, and I just am <laughs> always hungry for it. But never get it. <laughs> You're so thirsty. <laughs> um, so what are we? What are we doing? What do we do now? Oh, music picks. We've only been doing um, this 96 times. It's yeah. Before no we do music picks, uh, I'm going to do listener question. We asked a listener question last week that nobody answered, and I understand that structurally there's a problem in that we ask the question. The podcast comes out on Monday. Well, that's when you've heard the question, and then we record on Tuesday. So. Everyone's lazy as fuck, and they didn't... Maybe I'll get some answers to last week's question later this week. But this week's question is, music-related, have you ever learned about a band from the revolting music picks that you came to love? And who was it? That's this week's listener question. 68, for me. I can't believe that, like, I was so... I changed your life. I was so stupefied that this was something that had, like, flown under my radar... And I guess you had seen them. Did you know about them before you saw them open for whores? Uh, not really. I saw that they were going to open, and I, I like to check out an opening band in advance to find right. out whether I want to show up or right. not. And so I put them on, and I was like, what? Okay, so you learned about them not long before I learned about them then. Because you, like... You- if yeah. you hadn't, if you didn't know about them, I didn't. I didn't know about the chariot. I mean, I don't guess I would have. But like, I didn't know about any of Josh Scoggins' projects. And sixty-eight. It's a total. It's it has. It's it immediately became. They immediately became one of my favorite bands. Like they're in Ooh. my top ten for sure forever. Well, let's just. I love them also, obviously. But let's just um, true this up a little bit because I. Uh, turned you on to 68, which you have some gratitude for, and that's great. But very regularly, I say, you really need to listen to this. And you're like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yeah, I don't know. I've got some cheese to eat and some stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. It's like, you know, some stuff's going to hit immediately, and some stuff will hit later, and some, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll find something on my own, and I'll say, oh, my God, did you hear... Did you have you heard the Oogie Boogies? And you'd be like, Yeah, uh, no, I told you about them like a year and a half ago. And so, right, it's and uh, by the way, I don't know if there's a band called the Oogie Boogies, it's just that's the first thing that came to my mind. It's a good band name, and I bet it exists, but maybe not. And maybe it's us. Um, uh, so music picks, you got a good one. I know about these guys, you do, yeah. It's Elliot uh, so Smith's, my, Elliot Smith's punk rock band. Yeah, that's right. So before Elliot Smith was um, a solo sad bastard, uh, he was in a band called Heat Miser, uh, who were hugely popular in Portland, Oregon. 
And they put out three full-length records, the last of which is my pick this week, which is Mike City Sons, which is a fucking great record. And if you like Elliot Smith, I, I two things going on here. Number one, I went down on Elliot Smith uh, rabbit hole this week, which I will do sometimes because I love his records so much. Same. But they are sad bastard music, so... Big time. You gotta be... I don't know if I want to spread that, but I thought to myself, you know what's really catchy and uh, and the songs are great is that last Heat Miser record. And so it's my pick this week, Mike City Sons. Which is the one with the blue race car on it? Oh, jeez, I don't know. The first or Mike the second C- one? Yeah, Mike City Sons is like red, pink, orange, kind of. Okay. There, it's all it's all good, and it's so <clears throat> it's such a huge departure from like his solo stuff. But his solo stuff is badass, um, unbelievable. I haven't listened to them in a minute, a couple years at least. So I'm gonna have to have to revisit. Um, uh, my pick this week is uh, a record by Shellac of North America, and it's not a record that anyone can find. This is the <gasps> most obscure thing. <sighs> Uh, but it's really good. Uh, it's the the record's called the Futurist, uh, uh, otherwise known as the Friends record, because what? they made a um, they, they made a record and they printed the name of of all of their everyone they knew on the cover, and then they circled the name and they gave it to the person so that if the record ever showed up in a used bin or something, they would know who sold it. <laughs> So I became friends with Shellac of North America's drummer uh, after that record came out within, a, I don't know, a year or two. But he presented me with my own copy with my name oh. written on it. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, it's real obscure. Uh, it's probably somebody probably put it online somewhere. Um, but if, you know, like last week, last week we were talking about um, records by bands that you overlooked or maybe didn't have access to. And then it's like, Oh my God, while I'm waiting for a brand new shellac record, I also got a brand new shellac record, you know? So if you're, uh, if you're into that sort of Chicago math rock, whatever the fuck you call it, it's a real good one. Well, in order to make a link to this record, you might have to make your own YouTube video of it spinning on the turntable that we can link to. Mm. How mm. else are we going to turn people onto this thing that they just can't have? <laughs> Want a lick? Psych! <laughs> uh, it's pretty neat. Like, to go through and you, you see all these people's names, you're like, oh, I know that person. You know? Or like, oh my god, there's David Yao's name. It's in really, really tiny print, so... Uh-huh. There's probably, I don't know how many hundreds of people are on the cover of this record. I love that it's super nice and personal in that way, and yet also kind of passively vindictive. Like, if you <laughs> if you give this away and we find it in the bin, we'll know it was you. Uh-huh. Yeah, and all, the only excuse is that you died and your records got, you know, sold to pay for your funeral or right. your pay your debt off or whatever. Uh I yeah. almost mailed you all of my records last week. Oh. 
My record, my record player isn't working. I need it needs a new belt, and I was like, "Well, maybe, man, fuck records." Like I was just frustrated. <laughs> fuck records. I'm just gonna put all these in a box and send them to Steve. It would cost like a thousand dollars to send records, and it would cost probably about fifteen bucks to buy a new belt. Yep, I'm gonna buy the new belt, but I'm gonna buy the belt, and then I'm gonna fuck it up and break the belt and need a new belt. And do you have a? On your turntable, do you have a little switch where you can switch between 33 and 45? Oh, sure. Yeah, like, right? That just makes sense. That Why wouldn't fucking every turntable have that? And yet, mine, you have to take the entire platter off, drop the belt down, put the platter back on. What I have a solution fuck? for this. I'm going to, instead of sending you all my records, I'm going to send you my broken record player. <laughs> you can put the belt on, and then you'll just have a switchable... I think, I think, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but I've long considered like, I should just, I should just buy a turntable. Like I should just buy a turntable with a fucking switch on it. You know, like mine's, mine's a nice one. It's good. It's good. It's actually pretty fucking good, but it's just that it's this one thing. Like, yeah. Why? Who, what corners needed to be cut in order to leave this one? It's got all the stuff. It's, it's great, but what the fuck, man? They left it yeah, to Jerry, Jerry in engineering, and he was like, I don't know, spilled his orange crush in his lap and had to go to the bathroom and then forgot to put the switch on the design before it got <laughs> sent off to the factory. Fucking guy. His nuts are still sticky. My mom has a nice record player that she has used exactly one time that she bought last year. In fact, I helped her buy it. And she has like a big collection of classical music records. Mm -hmm. And so she has this record player that is pristine. Like the uh, dust shield, the dust cover is down and there's not a, a speck, nothing. And I'm like, I'm 51 years old and she's 80, but I think I might steal my mom's record player. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I think, okay, so... I know I'm, I might've told the story. I don't think I have. I know this dude, John, uh, he's got, he's got a pretty extensive record collection. He lived in Minneapolis and then he lived in Oakland, lived in, now he lives in LA and he's like trying his hand as doing comedy and he's doing, um, he's doing voiceover work. He's a real funny character. Um, so where was it going with this? Oh, so he tells me one day, he's like, hey, you got to come over. I just got a new stylus and speakers for my, <laughs> for my, for my record player. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, I'll, I'm in, I'll come over. And he's like, okay, pick a record, whatever. He's pick whatever record you're familiar with. And I think I pulled Ghost in the Machine uh, by uh -huh. the police uh -huh. and I put it on. He's like, okay, before we get into this, like, he just has these two little bookshelf speakers. One, yeah. the stylus costs two hundred and fifty dollars. The speakers, two speakers, cost a thousand dollars. And he was just like, it was the most money he'd ever spent on anything ever. You yeah. put the needle, and he's got this old seventies like clapped out system. You put the needle on the record, and it that expensive stylus was asked. It, it was a. Uh, uh, it was accessing every single bite of information in every one of those little tiny microscopic grooves. Everything that was recorded 
whether you can hear it, you can't hear it on a CD because that music gets super compressed. Digitally, everything gets super con- compressed. But with a vinyl record, when they're made properly, all of that information goes to the goes to that all those teeny tiny little grooves, and you got a a tool that can access all of that information and all those teeny tiny grooves, and it, and and uh, t- turns it into these electronic pieces of information, which are then amplified out of these two insanely expensive and exquisitely made speakers it was like listening to music i'd never heard before it was <laughs> fucking insane and then i come back to my record player and i'm like man it's i mean it's okay i guess sounds like fisher price you know it's just like <laughs> comparatively i mean it was a, it was i can't even there's no i can't explain how dramatic the difference was between how I'd always heard these songs and how I was hearing them through really nice equipment with really nice equipment. And like, he had just like this basic like thrift store turntable, but it was just this piece of equipment, this little tiny needle that, and the speakers made all the difference. So no, do with that what you will. Probably steal uh, my mom's record player. Yeah, so I think you there. should steal your mom's record player. All right, let's take a break for um, sponsor aggrandizement, and we'll come back in a minute. Back with us this month is Shimano and the new GRX 12-speed mechanical groups. Rooted in simplicity, reliability, and adventure, the new 12-speed GRX lineup delivers more gearing options along with unrivaled ergonomics so riders get the most out of each unpaved adventure, wherever that might be. There are three flavors for these 12-speed groups, two one-by setups and a two-by. The emphasis is on giving riders the gearing they need to ride the gravel terrain they like best. GRX's ergonomics get an upgrade too with redesigned shift brake levers, adding 12-speed shifting without any additional lever bulk. The RX820 series shifters are designed for all-day comfort when using flared drop bars, a gravel cycling staple. By reducing pressure points and increasing surface area, your hands will feel less fatigued and you'll be more in control as you test your limits. You can learn more at gravel.shimano.com. And we're back. What are we doing oh, today? Oh, boy. Uh, life is not so bad. Pretty good, really. We put the lotion in the basket and get it on, get on with it mostly. But most of us daydream about psychopaths not wearing our skin, about something different, something better. Today we talk about our dreams of escaping to something bigger and better and explain why we're probably actually going to stay right where we are. You got that? Yeah. yeah. When I travel, this is Robot who's written this. <laughs> when I travel, I always play the what I live here game. What places that you've been to do you think, yeah, I could live here? I mean, it's it's the grass is always greener, right? Isn't that sort of right. a fundamental aspect of being a person? You're always sort of disquieted and you're always kind of thinking... Uh, Alexander the very good or no Alexander the no good horrible very bad day whatever like right. I'm moving to Australia because nothing bad ever happens in Australia yeah um, and for those who didn't get the reference that's a I read I, I, I read it or I said it wrong but it's about a little boy who has a shitty day and he's like I'm out I'm gonna go to another place and then realizes oh there's no place like home 
that that you're gonna you're gonna everywhere you go there you are right oh, um, yeah so yeah i always i always do that always always because no anonymity i'm gonna go somewhere i mean i've just gone through this this the last three years i was going to rip myself out of everything familiar everything comfortable and i was going to put myself in a place where i knew no one i had no resources i was invisible because what do animals do when they're injured? They fucking hide. Mm. And that was all I wanted to do. And I thought coming to Bellingham, because I had support, because I had family, because I had friends, was some kind of a cop-out. Mm. I've learned in the interim that that isn't the case. And I, I don't know that I would have survived going to a place where I didn't know anyone. Yeah. Well, I think I think what you just kind of tapped into the exact the crux of the issue. So I go to I go to places and they're nice places. Lots of places are nice. Uh, every time we visit my family in Wales, I'm like, ooh, I could live here. Like there's nothing going on out here. Just like sheep roaming, green grass. Uh, so good out there. But then I'm like, oh, but. I mean, I have some family here, but you really need like your tight people mm -hmm. to get along. It's the yeah. people. It's always that's, the people. That's right. Well, it's like a shitty job. If you have a shitty job, but you work with great people, it makes the job. In, 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 in uh, what's the word? Uh, not incrementally, but um, infinitely, exponentially, infinitely, infinitely better. So, yeah, you need, you know, and what, as much as. I always said, like, I'm a pretty social person, as it turns out. But I always said, like, if things don't work out with my ex, like, I got, like, 49% of my feet out the door and 51% of my feet in society. And if things don't work out with her, I'm fucking gone. I said it forever because I, like, weirdly feeling like she was the anchor that was kind of keeping me in this world, which as it turns out, wasn't accurate at all. Um, and, uh, still the idea of being a hermit, still the idea of living in the woods, you know, I think when I was, uh, I was fourth or fifth grade, my dad was having a conversation with me and I was struggling. I probably have brought this up before. And he said, well, what are you going to do? Become a hermit? You're going to, that's just not realistic. And I said, what's that? And he said, it's just, you just go live in the woods by yourself. And I was like, oh my God, that, that's an option? <laughs> yes. Right. That's a profession? I could do I, that? I would love to do that. That sounds amazing. And I felt like I kind of changed. I was like changed cellularly, you know, when I learned that you could, that people do that sort of thing. But I don't, you know, in now with a little bit of life experience, I don't think it's a super healthy directive for... For me, for most people, but, you know, works for some. I feel that tug. Like, I know I'm not doing that, but I feel that tug. It's almost day to day. Like, anytime I read about politics, anytime I read about social media, most of the time that I go on social media, anytime I think about climate change, like, all of the, all of these things make me like, I don't want to participate in it anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. I just want to grow my own food and... I got plenty of clothes to last me, you know, another decade. These have been going for, for quite a while. <laughs> uh, you know, I just don't, 
I just w- want to tap out a lot of the time. Did you see, I had a video on All Hail the Black Market a couple of weeks ago that Pentabike Dave sent me, and it's about this guy who just, he just went off grid. And he runs around bare feet, and he feeds his horses, and he plays this game where he climbs up in a super tall tree, and he swings it over to another tall tree, and he's he's like this, like, woodsman, but he's really super smart. He's young. He's probably 30 and he just like, this is just his existence. And he's friends with some Mennonite people who live around the way. And, and he, you know, the guy, this, the guy who interviews him, uh, he just sort of, he has a, a YouTube channel where he goes around and he interviews curious individuals, like people living in unique ways. Um, and he, he's really engaging and he's really interested and it's, it's very sweet. It's a very sweet, uh, interaction that these guys have. Um, and he gets into the, the guy who, who he's interviewing gets into a little bit of like, this is what Jesus told me. And, and this is, you know, so there's like a little bit of, he's playing, he does a little bit of churchy God stuff, which, you know, whatever it's, it's all very, it's all very innocent. It didn't, it didn't irk me. Right. But I, you know, to see this guy and how he exists and he shares one phone with a neighbor, like he's. All of these trappings and all of this stuff doesn't fulfill any of us. It seems like when people are most sincerely, genuinely happy, they have pared down their existences to to nothing. Uh, that could be. I think. I think for me, the issue is I know what's important. It's people. It's my friends. It's my family. You know, it's the people I love that are important. And I have this I have this attention deficit that you and I circle back to every 12 to 13 minutes on this podcast uh, where I forget that all the time. Mm-hmm. I spin off onto other stuff. Uh, I start to care about work, <gasps> you know, uh, all these things that will distract you from what's important. There's a few things that are important. The people I love uh, and going outside. Okay, there's two things that are important, uh, and I will forget to do both of them. I will forget to care for the people that I love, and I will forget to go outside. You need a, a new, uh, like a little note, like a little post-it note by your door, your front door that says, go out here. Yes. And then, and then you know, care about your friends. Or yeah, that's right. Your... I Maybe mean, it's the... something as simple as just a, you know, like a tiny reminder. Excuse me, a little tiny reminder like that. Yeah, maybe. It seems so simple. It seems like such a simple thing to to recall. But why are it so... When... Uh, I don't know, 2001. I'll say it's 2001. Scott Berg and Robert Ives and I were driving to Las Vegas for the Interbike trade show. And we drive past this little... From the Bay Area, you have to go way south to like Barstow, California or somewhere. And then you drive north to Vegas. Like there's no straight shot to Vegas. So it's it's too long to do in a day, but it's too short to do in two days. And I hate the drive. But we we went by this little house out in the fucking desert in the middle of nowhere. And I began thinking like, what would it be like to, to live there for a year? Mm. Like I'm going to put myself... 
I'm going to put myself in a place where I don't know anybody. I'm just going to survive and I'm going to make my master work or I'll go crazy or I'll masturbate myself into a coma or, or all whatever. of those things. All of those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, why couldn't masturbating myself into a coma also be my master work? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I was thinking. Uh, so I've, 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 I've looked at artist residencies in places. I've looked at like, I, I want to go, I want to turn the noise down. I always want to turn the noise down. Where can I do that? Where can I go to where I don't know anybody? I need an anchor spot for sure. Like that's clear, but I want to go somewhere where I don't know anybody and I don't have any distractions and I don't have a phone and I don't have a computer and I just... Maybe a year's too much. Maybe three months. Sounds like I want to go to jail, but that's not the case either. I don't know. I don't so want bad. to go anywhere. I don't want to go anywhere else. I'm pretty content right now, but I but I but I'm uh, I'm constantly the dog looking like through the crack in the fence. Like I wanna this is cool. I got all my toys, I got my my right. people, I get fed, I got grass to run around in, but but what the fuck is that around there, that corner? There's a rabbit in the other yard. Yeah. There's always a rabbit in the other yard. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I got it great. I got it great. I got a great little house. Um gardens. We have gardens. Uh I got all my bikes here. Everything's great. Plenty of trails Does, nearby. Do you think, does everybody do that? Like, is that a normal, or not a normal, but is that a, like a standard way of, like just this, this sort of low grade discontentment or curiosity? I don't know. Semantics. I think it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's dissatisfaction or curiosity for me. Like there's always a, like, would it be better? Because, you know, I, at the same, in, at the same token, I, I will look around the town that I live in and I'll think, yeah, this isn't that great. Like there's better towns than this. Yeah. There's always, there's always going to be something for a long time. Right. I thought I should live in Athens. I never Georgia been to Athens. or Greece? It, uh, Georgia. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, like uh, there's a billion places I've never been before. Where's the spot that is going to be the spot? You know, like, I don't I don't know. I've lived in two places. This is the third place I've lived in my entire life. I've traveled a lot. I've been to a lot of places. But what if I just got a, jo a catering job in Athens? What the fuck? Why? You're right. fine. You're fine here. Why do you want to jump out of this situation into something that could be really bad, but it also might be really good. You, I don't know. Where's the spot? Where's the magic spot? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think I was about to say that there, this might be a function of age. Like we're both at an age where we understand, uh, how finite our positions are. Right. Like I remember the last 25 years, I probably only got about 25 years left that's not that much time. So if I don't go to Athens, Greece, or Georgia, uh, I'm just not going to get to go. And is that okay? Should I? I so. uh, I've lived here in Massachusetts 30 years. Should I, should I live someplace else? My family all live in Wales. I would love, I love it there. Could I live there? 
Well, now you know you have you have other people dependent on your existence where you are. You know, if it maybe, uh, heaven forbid, your wife invites you also invites you to no longer be married to her. <laughs> uh, you you can you can make those decisions, but you are then you're making those decisions under duress, and that changes the dynamic entirely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The other thing is the other thing is here, and I think this answers the second question, which is why, despite all those other mag- magical places, and not just not having the money to move, uh, are we very probably just going to stay in the pretty nice places we already live? It's because um, I've got this little village of people here. It's not just my kids who are nearby, but I have like my neighbors who I'm super tight with, and like two or three other. Uh, couples that live in this neighborhood and I, we ride bikes and we do hikes and we do all sorts of stuff together. And it's like that you don't replace that. The place yeah. is the place that you live is kind of beside the point. If those people are there. Uh, yeah, but having access to, you know, when I was like making a list of like, okay, what do I want in a place when I'm relocating? Mm-hmm. I've got to go. Can't stay in the Bay area. Can't afford to live in the Bay area. Also need to get the fuck away from my ex and all of the life that we built together just to, as a, as an effort to sort of, uh, I don't know, just give myself some room to stretch. Uh, so it's like, I need a place to work. I need, I gotta be able to ride to my rides. I don't want to have to, I'm not going to put myself in a place where I got to drive to work or ride. Cause I hate yep. that. Yep. And then uh, there was something out. There was three things like and it was inc- it was incredibly difficult to find those three things in any of the places. Oh, and I guess, you know, someplace that I could afford to live, which. It's like uh, cheap, fast and good pick two kind of a situation right. like it was it was sort of that. And I was I found it very difficult. I was glad that, you know, ultimately, I'm glad that I landed here, but I don't know how long I can afford to live here affordable and tolerable pick one yeah yeah um uh let's see not i'll probably i mean i'll stay here until i can't afford to live here and then i'll go somewhere else like i guess that's where i was going with it you have people who are you have things people and places and stuff that are dependent on your existence there and and just extracting yourself from that is considerably more complicated than than my extraction yeah. was. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all. That's true. There was one point I did a trip, a bunch, I don't know, whenever, like in the 90s or something, I did a trip for a couple of months. And then I came back to Oakland and it, and it just felt better. Like it just felt good. And I thought, oh, this is the trick is I just got to travel more. Like, I really love it here, but I need a break. I need some breathing right. room. Right, Um. Because the more you kind of give yourself a little bit of uh, diversity or a little bit of just a change of pace, a change of scenery, it makes the daily grind uh, a lot more manageable. Yeah. Well, it also sort of reinforces that it's a thing you're choosing, not just a thing you're stuck with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So do we do having the money? Probably we did. You're going to stay where you. Yeah, you're going to stay where you live. Yeah, I gotta stay here. You're great. You're happy there. Yeah. Uh, now, would you? Would you rather? I guess. Yeah. 
Did we did we cover all the things we needed to cover? I think we kicked the ball through the field goal goal. Okay. Thing. Uh, and this is interesting. This is this is a really good one because this is um, kind of relates to question one, question two, and the overarching topic. Yes. In general, would you rather lose everything you own right now in a fire, or be forced to take back everything you've ever gotten rid of? Yeah. Off of fire. It's fire for me too. Why is that so obvious? Um, everything I've gotten rid of. Are we talking about like my my fucking Buster Browns in third grade? Like, are those coming back to me? Do I just have this warehouse full of everything I've ever owned? Every piece of painting, drawing, shitty artwork I've ever made. Every bike that's ever been broken or stolen. Is that what we're talking about? Yep, you get it all back. And the trick is, some of it you want back. Some of it you're like, oh, I wish I still had that thing. But most of it you're not. But the flip side is, well, you just lose everything. Yeah. Start over from zero. And, and I think that for, uh, to be, not to be flippant about it, a bunch of people who have been through this, who like have a fire in their house and lose all of their possessions, it's traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is something really simultaneously attractive about it also, isn't there? Well, I don't want everything I've ever gotten rid of. I don't want that at all. I would be I would be crushed. I mean, but that that includes my computer which has my entire business on it. I don't yeah. know what my fucking passwords are. I don't know any <laughs> of that. It would be I would go I would be completely I- identityless. Yeah. Which, like I said, I don't know. Maybe I maybe I have less maybe I have more than forty nine percent out the door. Maybe I maybe I got like thirty percent out the door and I'm whatever the opposite because I'm not good at math. I have more of me in the door than out of the door, but a fire, you know, I just made a sticker not very long ago that said your house never burns down when you want it to. I did there was one point where I left to go to San Francisco and this is Years ago, I lived in this storefront that I renovated, and it was a cool storefront. But I was like, if I was gone and the and my building burned down, I would be totally fine with that. Like right. that would give me the freedom to just fucking walk away. Finally, this is no anchor. I've got a little bit of financial maneuverability, and I can just fucking leave. Uh I, don't I had know. a house burned down one time when I wanted it to. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I guess uh, I should change the sticker to your house sometimes burns down when you <laughs> want it to. <laughs> it's a crazy story. I don't think we have time for it here today. Uh, oh, we got fi- we're 57 minutes in. We got time. We got time. Uh, well, yeah. Um, Brittany and I bought a second house. We bought a little one-room schoolhouse in Vermont. This is... Uh, almost 20 years ago. And it was, it was less than six figures. That's the kind of house it was. It was like, it was like a camp, kind of a camp cap or like a ski camp or a hunting camp yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. There were definitely like eight Vermonters living in it with like a clear plastic stapled to the walls in the bathroom to make the, uh, a shower. It was oh. really, it was really fucked. And over a bunch of years, we made it nice. 
And our whole thing was neither of us had a vacation house growing up and we, and we had friends who did have them. And we were like, oh, that's sort of a thing that we want. Like, it, like the family can go there. It'll not just be for us. It'll be for everybody. And then the reality of that was that people didn't really go there. Um, and as our kids got into all the things that kids get into, we didn't have time to go there. And so we ended up renting it out to this woman who was the town librarian. And we were like, oh, that's a safe bet. She needs a place to live. We're not going to, you know, all we're trying to do is cover whatever the payment was on this tiny payment on this thing. And um, uh, we never pretty quickly. We realized we didn't want to be landlords like that's not that's not a good thing. That sucks. Um, and so I decided we decided we would sell the house and I didn't put it on the market. There was a guy that lived behind the house, a neighbor who was into like property management and stuff of Vermonter. And I said to him, hey, do you want to buy the house? And he was like, yeah, I'll buy the house from you. And I said, tell me how much. And he told me how much. And I was like, OK, great. Um, <clears throat> we weren't in a big rush. Like, he's a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. Like, we trusted each other. We just agreed I was going to sell him the house. So probably a, the, a whole summer passes and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get my lawyer to send you a purchase and sale agreement for the house. OK, great. So he sends me the purchase and sale agreement on a Monday and I look at it. I'm like, it's great, but I'm not in a rush. I said to him, I'll get it back to you on Friday. Maybe I'll do the responsible thing and have a lawyer look at it. Probably not because I don't just have a lawyer. Uh, so Thursday morning, he calls me up. He's like, hey, man, um, there's kind of a thing. There's a problem with your house. And I was like, what, what, what's that? He said, oh, well, it burned down this morning. <laughs> was everyone OK? I mean, I guess I should hold off on laughing until I find out that no one was hurt. I gave you the cues that it was OK to laugh. So the okay. woman who lived there got out. Good. And she did learn, lose everything she owned. And that's terrible. That's not good. But <clears throat> what happened was she had stopped being the town librarian and had become a hoarder. And so the whole living room of the house was packed full of I don't even know what. Like, apparently you couldn't even walk around in there. I never saw mm. it. And the night, the fateful night, she put something in the wood stove to burn and failed to fully close the 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 door on the front of the wood stove and so some ash popped out of the door and pretty shortly thereafter the house was up in flames and so when he called me she was actually at his house um mm. having burned the house down and the bur house burned completely <laughs> like like the oh, insurance guy man. said to me later, he goes, you know, normally there's some quibble about whether the house is a total loss or not. This is a total loss. There's there nothing is left. nothing. There's huh. no, there's a hole in the ground. <clears throat> so. So I was like, oh, this is great. Like now I'm going to I'm not going to get this money. Uh, and the money that we were going to sell it for was not we were not making a profit. We were just getting out. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but it turns out the appraised insurance value was more than he was going to pay me. That's I love stories with a happy ending. I hope the librarian landed on her feet and got, you know, a safe place to live and maybe I know that she managed, did. managed her collection of things. Yeah. 
to some degree. She got forcibly removed from her hoarding problem. Uh, well, that's I do like a story with a happy ending. So this is a good spot to end. We would both choose to have our houses burned down. <laughs> Great. Uh, in closing, don't forget to suck it. Also drop a few bucks in the TCI tip jar so we can keep doing this podcast. Also, it's been a while since anyone left a review on iTunes or any of those other places, so you could do that if you like. Tell the world the podcast is unlistenable, but you bravely keep listening anyway. On behalf of the Cycling Independent and Revolting Podcast, I'm Steve. I'm Robert.